Fullness, welcome, glad you're here. Hey, can you guys see the screen? Is it blocked by this keyboard? Y'all see it all right? A little bit, but you can see it. I'll try to keep the words high. I don't know. Or I can move the keyboard. Thanks to Caleb for leading today. Uh, Yeah, awesome. Um, Craig is out of town. He's he's at the happiest place on earth uh, with his girls. So (laughs) that place cracks me up. Disney, you know, it's the happiest place on earth to like four in the afternoon, and then it becomes Meltdown Mountain, if you've ever taken your kids to, to Disney. Uh, it's been my experience, uh, especially if you don't feed them. Um, anyway, some of you may be, uh, some of you may hear this morning, and, and you saw that the song Generous is being released, and, and you want to know where your cassette tape is uh, of the song, well... Um, for those of us who are older, there's this thing called Spotify um, that you can get on your phone and get music from. So if you don't have it, go get it. If you don't have a phone that does that, then talk to Craig uh, about how to get that song. Uh, it is awesome. Hey, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark, Mark 9. Dave, I did change to Mark after uh, our discussion running the other day. Uh, this is a story that's mentioned several times in several different Gospels, and um, let me just say, for those who are just waltzing in to fullness for the first time, we're in this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I know that in um, many circles, fasting has become simply a way to reorganize your metabolism or lose weight. You know, you've got that intermittent fasting that happens now. It's become kind of a buzzword. But in a biblical sense, fasting is the denial of something, food, media, uh, television, sex, um, any number of things that you deny your body of in order to proactively seek after God. Fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. I think they go hand in hand in order to seek God's purpose and plans for our life. And we're in a series and we're going to go beyond our 21 days of fasting to look at many of the biblical fasts that are mentioned in the Bible, because fasting is often mentioned. And for those of you who don't, I prepared a handout uh, about all the scriptures that have to do with fasting. There's, I had made 25. They were gone pretty quick last week. Thank you for taking it. I hope you read it. I hope it blessed you and you had some biblical study. But if you'd like to know more about it, pick up one of these on the table in the back. Also, if you're just joining us and you want to participate in our time of fasting and prayer, we have a devotional book that's also on that table right as you leave. It's a, it's a, every day we have a devotion that we do here together, but if you're not able to join us in the room, you can pick up the book, join us by praying together that prayer for the morning. In the book of Galatians, it says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, what Paul is talking about here specifically in Galatians, you know, he's got that who has bewitched you, stupid Galatians, I mean, foolish Galatians uh, kind of thing. Like, somebody has come in, and it's almost like that idea of, like, done something to them to, to get them thinking in the wrong thing. It has to do with legalism and following the law and Jewish practices and uh, all of that. But 
in, in a greater context, if you don't mind me stretching it just a little bit, my contention is, is this, honestly. Everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus has the right to become a child of God. Satan cannot stop you from becoming a child of God through Jesus. He can't. But if he can't stop you from doing that, he will keep you in prison. He will keep you bound up as a Christian. And over my 30-something years, 40 years of ministry, 30 years of pastoring this place, my experience is there are many Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, who have let themselves be taken in by a yoke of slavery. And that is not the abundant Christian life that Jesus came to give you. He wants you to be free. He wants you to walk in freedom and life. The enemy's going to come against you. That's a given. The world is going to come against you. That's a given. But you shouldn't come against you because Christ is for you. He has done things in your life that are already done for you as a child of God, and we need to activate those to walk in freedom. So just as last week, I had a ton of material to cover. Um, I've got just as much today. And um, so I'm going to try and move quickly, but I do believe this is a very important message for some people here. You, you want to be free, right? Do you want to be free? Wouldn't you rather walk in freedom than slavery? Wouldn't you rather get out of prison than be in prison? You've got to agree with me or we're going to be here a long time. And here's one of the reasons I say that. Because I know people who get out of prison, but they almost are like, you know what, I'm not sure what freedom looks like. I think I'll go back in prison. Because I know what that looks like. I know what that feels like. And that is not where God wants you to be. He wants you to walk in freedom. And let me also say this. I cannot possibly cover all the angles on freedom. I can't give you a formula that promises you freedom. But I can give you this. I can give you some biblical principles that will put you on the path where freedom can be. God can help you walk in freedom. Okay? So if you think you're going to leave here and say, I'm guaranteed this. Bart's going to give me the five steps to freedom. No, but I'm going to give you some things that will prevent you from walking in freedom that may be working in your life. So just just hang with me and let's look at these stories. Um, in, in the book of Isaiah, which we looked at last week, one of the phrases where the prophet is talking about the true fast, he talks about, is not this kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice? Now, injustice can mean many things, but one of the injustices has to do with our own freedom in Christ. Jesus came in in his first sermon, he talked about setting the captives free. There, is, there, is, there are things of injustice that are being done in our world, and there are injustices that we're doing that cause us to walk not in the freedom that God has promised us. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at this passage from Mark. There's a sister passage in Matthew 17. I'm going to quote from it as well uh, of this story. And again, I can't look at every angle of this story, but I'm going to look at it in the sense of how do we walk in greater freedom? How do we fast and pray 
pray and fast in order to be, be set free. Let me also say this about fasting for those of you who are engaged in this two-week time of fasting. Kathy and I were talking about this actually this morning, that it seems like there are things that happen when we fast, like a lot of times the junk that's within us starts to come to the surface, junk we didn't even know was there, things that we didn't even know were there. So, for instance, Kathy and I were talking about just in our home, between us, it's just me and her these days, there seems to be an air of tension permeating things, even between us, that don't make any sense. There's no reason for us to be tense. But I think it's our junk coming to the surface so that the enemy can either hammer it or God can deal with it, right, during this time of fasting. So don't be surprised when you're fasting and praying and seeking after God and you feel suddenly more unspiritual than you did. Um, you know, like, I went into this feeling pretty spiritual, but now, I, I don't know. I, I, th- there are things that I'm just dealing with, the way I'm thinking about people. And you know what? That stuff was always there. Now God is just bringing it up so you can deal with it. Okay? So don't be surprised that that happens. Second thing is, be sure that fasting, one of the things that happens is it makes us more sensitive to the voice of God. I, in my experience... And so be sure that the voice that you're listening to is the voice of God. It makes us more spiritually sensitive is what I'm trying to say. So make sure as you're fasting and seeking after God that you stay actively engaged. That's why it's not just fasting, it's fasting and prayer. I want to hear from God because the enemy is always there with his own answers to try and fill in gaps that are not truthful for you. So let's look at this passage together. Uh, Mark 9. And here's the first uh, point I want to point out to us. It's the problem of where we are. By where we are, I mean what we are thinking. It's helpful, if we're going to get free, to recognize that we're not free. Right? If we want to get free, there's an honesty. and, and So I've been in the charismatic world for now really over 30 years. When I first entered charismatic stuff, um, you know, gifts and the Holy Spirit and um, how I define charismatic, but when I entered the world that God is still moving, I came across some Christians who believed so much in the power of positive confession, they wouldn't actually say where they were because they were afraid if they said where they were, then in fact, It'd be a negative confession, and it would only keep them where they were. And so, um, to me, it just appeared stupid. You know, like, like I, I would come across someone who was just sick. You know, they got a cold, snot running out their nose. Uh, they're just coughing, hacking, and I saying, hey, are you, are, you, are you sick? No, I'm not sick. You know, cause they were afraid to say they were sick. And I was like, dude, you're sick. <laughs> you know, let's be real. You know, you know, if you want to, if you if you're afraid of a negative confession, say something like, "Hey, I'm taking a healing or something." I don't know, uh, but at least be honest about where you are. One of the ways the enemy keeps us in prison is by saying, "This is not prison," and we agree with it. Let's be honest about where we are. Let's look at the passage. I'm going to read this whole passage, long scripture passage. 
I'm not going to, again, not all the angles, but we'll look at some of them. When, when they came to the other disciples, point, Jesus is coming from the Mount of Transfiguration down. He's walking into this scene you're about to see. He's been with um, um, Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're coming down to the other disciples, and here's what he discovers. They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. I'm going to just comment on each of these slides as we go along because it'll be easier for me. Coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, I mean, this is literally a mountaintop experience, right? I mean, Jesus has been transfigured, um, Moses, Elijah, big deal, right? Voice of God, my beloved son. I mean, it's huge. They come down from that to this. The teachers of the law, the crowd, are arguing with his disciples, meaning his disciples are arguing with them as well. It's this tension they come out of. Again, that a lot of times when you're in a spiritual place, this is what you discover. Tensions rise to the surface. He, Jesus says, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Man, father, comes desperate to Jesus and says, I've got this son and he, the demons have robbed him of speech, and he, he has seizures and foams at the mouth and falls on the ground. And I brought him to you to your, to, for healing, and your disciples, they couldn't heal him. They couldn't set him free. They couldn't cast out the de demonic. Jesus says, oh, unbelieving generation. Who, who is Jesus talking to? His own disciples. You think, hey, he's talking to the scribes or Pharisees, but instead he's turning to his own guys and saying, oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Does this not sound a little harsh to you? I mean, this is Jesus talking. You'd have thought, hey, guys, it's okay. I'll teach you how to do this later. It's all right. But no, he, 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 he's confirmed. Confronting his own followers with their lack of what? Belief. Their lack of faith to be able to accomplish. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Now notice that in this passage, the way Mark frames it, Jesus hadn't said anything to the demon. And you, you may be saying, oh, this sounds like an epileptic seizure to me. This doesn't sound like a demonic oppression. It like, but there's a recognition in this case that there's something demonic going on in the boy. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. And help us. Here's what Jesus says. If you can, said Jesus, everything 
is possible for him who believes. Oh my, you should underline this in your Bibles. Did Jesus really mean this? That everything is possible for him who believes? It seems like such an incredible statement, does it not? Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, and this has become one of my lifelong prayers, I believe, help my unbelief. I recognize that there needs to be a level of increase in faith in my life all the time. I believe, help my unbelief. It, it's not, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. It is him coming before Jesus and saying, God, Jesus, I believe. Only you can help my unbelief. Where is the source of faith in your life? Here's one of the realities. The source of faith is actually not you. The source of faith is him. Faith is a gift. We need to pray, I believe. Now, I participate in this gift, right? It's an interesting, mysterious dynamic. But I'm, he's saying, I have faith. Raise my faith. I want this everything is possible to them who believe. He's just asking for it for his son, honestly. He wants his boy to be set free. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Jesus delivers this boy. He heals him. He sets him free. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. Now, I know in many of your Bibles that uh, the word and fasting is in a footnote or this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting is in a footnote because some manuscripts admit it, but we're including it today, that this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting uh, because I do believe it's an overarching biblical principle, uh, even though it may be in not some early me. I'm not a manuscript theorist, uh, whatever that term is, I forgot. Um, any case, we're going to examine it. But here's what I want you to notice. There is a recognition for where all of these different groups of people are. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and what he walks into is a panorama of unbelief. You've got the scribes who are, like, way against him. They don't believe. As a matter of fact, they think they're protecting God by attacking Jesus' followers and questioning him, them and him. You've got the boy and his father. The boy is uh, demonically oppressed. Je uh, the, the father admits he, he doesn't know if Jesus can heal this boy. His own disciples have been praying, and they don't have enough faith to believe they can cast the demon out of the boy. I mean, it's just, a, it's just unbelief everywhere. Listen, people, we need to recognize where we are too many times. As I said, if we're... In prison, we need to recognize, man, I need freedom. If I need healing, recognize I need healing. If I need wisdom, ask for wisdom. There, there is a recognition of where we are. So for one of the things, one of the things that keeps people 
in prison is their own sin, their own lives. Even followers of Jesus Christ who get involved in habitual sin, get involved in not following after God. And this sin can follow many different forms, but we need to recognize that it makes us stumble and fall. It keeps us from going where we are supposed to go. Um, Dave and I, we run all the time together, and um, over the years, we were, I don't know how long we've run together, 15, 20 years, 100 years, whatever it is. We've run together a long time, and at some point, we always fall down. Something happens and trips us up, and we go down. And what we've done over the years is we've blamed the other person. Like when I fall and I say, you know, I was running today and Dave pushed me down kind of thing. When in fact, it was just me stumbling over stuff. You know, I haven't fallen as much as Dave. I just want to make that clear. Um, and then when we ran with Cheryl, she was pitiful. I hope she's watching because she fell all the time. Um, and then she blamed me and Dave for pushing her down. But I mean, I've been running and just, I mean, on a street, nothing, there's nothing there and then all of a sudden, like a vine or a twig or something gets wrapped up in my feet, and boom, I, my feet stumble, and I, I go down. It is that way with sin many times. Paul, the author of Hebrews, it could be Paul, probably not, but therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, and what? The sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Sin easily entangles you. Many of the times when we're looking for the source for our lack of freedom, we don't have to look very far. It is the sin that so easily entangles us. And we need to recognize where we are. Listen, it's, it's like people not admitting they're sick. I, I, I don't... My, my problem is not with people who come to me and say, Pastor, I, I, am, I have this, I'm going to use the spiritual term, besetting sin. No one ever says besetting, but I have this sin in my life that is causing me to stumble, and I want to be set free from it. Do you know how many times that has happened to me as a pastor of 30 years? Two, three, maybe? Why? Because no one recognizes the sin in their own life. They usually dismiss it as something else, or they usually dismiss where they are based on what someone else has done to them. You know, they did this to me, or the enemy did this to me. Almost no one comes and says, you know, Pastor, I've, I've screwed up. I've really messed up. I've got this sin in my life, and I need to be set free from it. Listen, I, I, I think one of the things about being free is a recognition of where you are. Let's be honest about where you are. You know, even Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, has recognized the power of this. Hi, my name is Bard. I'm a habitual sinner. You know, I'm, you, there's a recognition of where you are that is, in some ways, the first steps to you achieving the freedom that Christ has for you. By the way, don't think you're the only one. No temptation has seized you except... What is common to man? God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 
And by the way, I, don't, I love this verse because there's a couple of things in it that are key. One is that every temptation, any temptation that you're undergoing, it's common. You're not the only one. All right, praise God, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. You know, kind of thing. But second point is this. Hey, God's given you a way out. You stand without excuse for why you went ahead and did it. He's saying he's providing a way through Jesus, through the power of the Spirit for you to be set free. But at least recognize, please, where you are. Are you in the crowd of the scribes and the Pharisees? You're antagonistic toward the things of God? Are you like the father who needs something but just doesn't know? Are you like the followers of Jesus who, who, who are in but lacking? Where, where are you today? Here's the second thing, and this is where faith has to rise up. We have to know the power of who we are. Not, not where we are, but who we are in him. You've got to know what God says about you is true. This is who you are, rather than being stuck with where you were. He replied, because, this is the Matthew passage, by the way, not the Mark. This is the, the sister passage, same story, just some uh, different things added in. He replied, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be moved. Wow, we're even, the whole possible with God thing is even expanding. Now we're talking about moving mountain faith. And is he talking about the select spiritual few? You know, the super spiritual, these are the ones who can walk in this level of faith? I don't think so. I think he's talking about we as followers of Jesus Christ, his followers. Nothing will be impossible for you. And again, this phrase um, is not in some manuscripts, but in many. But this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. We need to pray. We need to acknowledge, let go of some things, and seek after God. Jesus said to the, the Father, says to Jesus, but if you can, notice he's got a level of belief, but he's lacking a deeper level. And Jesus says to him, if you can, kind of like, is that what you're questioning me? Can I? I think Jesus in some ways is saying, why even bring the boy to me? If you don't think I can do it. If you can, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help my unbelief. You may be in this panorama of unbelief, but God, through faith, wants to move you. He wants to transfer you. He went, and if you look at the passages um, in the New Testament, Paul, over and over again, is praying to churches, Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians. Read those letters, and at some point, Paul is going to pray for that church and say to them, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened, enlightened, so that you can know who you are, the hope to which he has called you. His incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Our glorious inheritance in the saints. He wants them to know who they are in Jesus. It's the way to freedom. So here's what I want to do in the time we've got left. And it's going to take just a minute. I want to, I want to look at 
Again, spiritual disciplines don't guarantee. What they do is they put us on this path where God can do things in our lives. On, on one side is the, the, the crevice, so to speak, the ditch of it doesn't matter what I do, God is going to do it anyway, so I don't do anything. On the other side is I do everything, God has to bless me. Spiritual disciplines put us on a path where God can do some things in our life. And so that's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you some, some truths about this path to freedom, how you can stand on it. So you can put yourself in a position where God can help you. God can do things in your life that he's already recognized. There's some books I would recommend, uh, Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson, Victory Over the Darkness. There's some other books that I borrowed some of these truths from and adapted for our place. But let's look at them together. Second Corinthians says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. I think I skipped a passage. Let's go back to this one. I like this one the way it starts. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have what? Divine power. That's the kind of power you need, by the way. Power from God to demolish strongholds. <clears throat> you know, this is silly, but I've heard strongholds defined as any hold that is strong in your life. You know, it's, it's got a hold on you, and it's strong. Um, there are these, like, fortresses of thought and belief and sin that are built up in your life. And God has given you weapons to see him come down. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have the ability. Where's the battleground, by the way? It's in our minds. It's up here. Here's the battleground, our belief, our unbelief, our, what we think about what God wants to do in our lives. So we need to have the mind of Christ. We need to recognize where God has us. So... Let me just give you some points about some things that will help you on this path to freedom. The first thing is this. You need to renounce anything that's got control of your life that is not the truth of God. Renounce any counterfeit control. Anything that's not of God that has control of you is a counterfeit of the truth. And you need to recognize it, I think, and renounce it. Um, it says in 2 Corinthians, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So in your mind, there is the possibility that you have believed an untruth and that untruth has a control over you. You need to renounce anything that controls you that's not of God. And going along with that, you need to acknowledge, I'm sorry, go back. Self-deception. Again, I say this all the time, but I'm going to repeat myself several times because these points come around. The terrible thing about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. Um, we need to acknowledge where it is that we possibly have been deceived. And what we're really praying is this. God, shine your light of truth into every recess of my life so that I can see where I'm deceived and I don't even know it. I need to acknowledge that there may be areas of my life where I'm deceived. As a matter of fact, I need to acknowledge areas of my life where I, I am deceived. 
very few of us in this room have the corner on the market of truth. Something has entered us somewhere where we're believing in untruth. And only God can really show it to us. But he can, and he will, if we'll ask him. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Where does truth come from? Him. I, I don't have time for side points, but... Truth, truth is not what you make it. Truth is what God says. You need to acknowledge that there is an unmistakable, inarguable source of truth. And it's not you. And actually, it's not me. It's what God says. And so I'm praying, if I want to walk in freedom... I need to pray this. God, every place my mind disagrees with your mind, change my mind. Show me truth. Let me walk in truth. One of the reasons we're not walking in freedom is because we're walking in untruth. And these things get a hook on our heart and keep us in prison and bound. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no Deceit, no deception. We need to walk in truth. Acknowledge that there is self-deception. If you really want to walk in freedom, renounce counterfeit control in your life and acknowledge this. And here's a tough one. We need to forgive to overcome bitterness. One of the things that has a stronghold in your life that will keep you in bondage is unforgiveness. There are biblical truths about this all throughout the New Testament. Um, if you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Paul is talking about something specific here about forgiveness and unforgiveness, but one of the ways the enemy tempts us is with unforgiveness because it has a hold on our heart. It actually keeps us in prison. It keeps us bound to the act that was done against us long ago. It keeps us from moving forward. It keeps us in a, in a pattern of revenge or a thought that God should get them. And for many of us, we're justified in our unforgiveness. Why? Because the thing that was done to us is horrid. It was horrible. It's inexcusable. It's sin. It's abuse. It's sexual abuse. It's, it's you, you name it. And so we feel justified in saying, I don't have to forgive. What that unforgiveness does, it keeps us in prison. We need to forgive. How? Just as Christ forgave us. How did Christ forgive you? Unconditionally. What did you have to do to get forgiveness? What, did, what, did, what could you do to incorporate this forgiveness in your life? You couldn't do anything. Only God could do it for you. I'm going to move on. Here's another thing. And all of these, I think, are biblical principles that will keep us from lacking freedom. And one of them is to submit to God's authority. 
ooh, man, Lord, this stands against our American stuff. You know what I mean? I am my own person. I have the right to do this. But throughout the Bible, there are a number of authorities God has put in your life. He's put civil authorities in your life. He's put spiritual authorities in your life. There's a mutual submission in marriage. Children submit to parents. I mean, there is this authority, and we view authority as somebody above me telling me what I have to do. And that's not the biblical view of authority. It is saying, I want to line up together. I want to line up under. I want to follow God's plan. And whenever we take ourselves out from under anything that's God's authority and say, I'm going to do this on my own, we're open to the attacks of the enemy. This is a long teaching um, on authority, and I'm just giving you a highlight of it. But, for instance, this may seem self-serving because I'm the pastor, but he's talking about spiritual authorities. Uh, Paul is in Hebrews, or the author of Hebrews. He says... Obey your leaders, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. The lack of advantage to you is not just so that you're bucking against them, but instead that you're pulling yourself out from protection that God has. And when you do, you put yourself in a position where bad things can happen. Hey, I know this is a lot of words. Hang with me just a little while longer. We're almost done. But these are really, they're really important and good, by the way. Here's a tough one for us, too. Take personal responsibility. Quit blaming others. Take personal responsibility for what, I mean, otherwise, Paul wouldn't have said in Romans, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Part of the reason we're in the state that we're in is that we have done this. Don't blame somebody else. Take personal responsibility for where you are. Look, does it matter if someone drove you into the ditch or you drove yourself into the ditch? You're still in a ditch, right? And at some point, at least recognize that you're in a ditch, Say, I'm in a ditch. Now, for many of us, my experience has been that the vast, vast, vast majority, I can't even put a percentage on it, is because people drove themselves into the ditch. But they'd rather stay in the ditch and blame somebody else for putting them there. Instead, just get out of the, let's get out of the ditch. One of the ways is saying, you know what, I'm not even sure anymore if I drove myself in here or if somebody ran me off the road. But I'm here and I want to get out. So help me get out, Lord. Let me get back on the path that will put me in a position to walk in freedom and destiny in you. Do that by being strong in the Lord and his mighty power, not your own. Take personal responsibility for where you are, but acknowledge in faith where God wants you. Then disown sinful influences in your life. Just disown, you know... There are things, here's the problem with sinful influences. I can't tell you what they are for you. Because in some ways, it's different for every person. Right? You still with me? Still awake? Have I put you to sleep yet? Um, Here's the problem. So for instance, I'll take a controversial one for some. Alcohol. 
The Bible never says abstain from all alcohol, never drink a drop of alcohol. The Bible's clear, don't get drunk with wine, right? There's some people who can take a drink and it doesn't, it's fine. Glass of wine here and there, whatever. There are other people who should never touch a drop of alcohol their entire lives. Why? Because the principle for them, as you see in Paul, is this. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. What is the problem? The problem is not the question of, is it right for me? The question is, first, is it beneficial for me? Not can I get away with it, but will it help me? I mean, let's go back to alcohol. Paul actually tells Timothy, hey, it would help you to take a, a glass of wine for your stomach. Now, I know, Baptists, we present it's not really a glass of wine. It's like grape juice. I don't think so. But <laughs> in any case, he's saying, Timothy, it would be beneficial for you. But for others, it won't be beneficial. And for some, the problem is if they take that, then they'll be mastered by it. Mastered means you have another master. <laughs> You're in prison. You're back in bondage. The chains are on you. Only you, through the power of the Spirit indwelling you, can say, what is that sinful influence in my life? I mean, there's some clear biblical ones um, that you, you can say are not for you. But there are others that you just have to hear from God. God, I don't want to be mastered by anything, any, any of these things. Some of you should never go on social media. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I, don't think, I think some of you are addicted. Some of us are addicted to social media. We should just stay off it. It's a sinful influence in our life. You go down that rabbit hole of looking at one of those videos, the next thing you know, two hours have passed and you don't even know where the time has gone. Who cares if that person is singing to a chicken? It just doesn't matter. <laughs> but it's so fascinating. I found myself like, before I started fasting, so, uh, things, I, I, I got addicted to people pressure washing their driveways. There was something fascinating about it to me. They take some guy for free, would go around and, and clean up and pressure wash some guy's driveway. And I'm like, I got to see it to the end. I got to see what the after looks like. Praise God. He's freed me from watching pressure washing on driveways. So, I mean, really, there's stuff like that out there, and you don't even know what will capture you. Disown it. Wouldn't you rather walk in freedom than watch, watch a guy pressure wash a driveway for an hour? So many more productive. Yes, amen, brother. <laughs> Look at this list again. Here's what we're about to do. Caleb, if you and the team could head on back up. Here's what we're about to do. We're about to, I, I, I want us to pray a prayer of confession where we pray through some of these aspects. And I'm going to put the words on the screen. And if you feel, and listen to me, only if you feel like you can say these things do I want you to say them. They're all biblical. There's not untruth in here, but some of them are hard for you to renounce and to say. And only if you can say it do I encourage you to say it. But it's a, it's a prayer for freedom. It's a prayer to um, renounce counterfeit control to acknowledge where we've been deceived, to uh, forgive, 
to overcome bitterness, to submit to God's authorities in our life, to take personal responsibility, to disown sinful influences, to in fact walk out our freedom in faith. This is not a guarantee it's going to happen. I, I just see it as a Again, a positioning of ourselves to get rid of some things that are causing us to not walk in freedom so that God can help break the chains in our lives. You may look at this list automatically and say, here's where I'm stuck. This is the one. God, help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to overcome in this area. For some of you right now, it's going to be an incredibly impactful moment for your life. So I want to pray over us that the Spirit of God will come and move. Because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He wants you to walk in freedom. And so we're going to do that, and then we're going to pray. I'm going to have the words on the screen. We're going to say it out loud together. And listen, I'm very cautious in doing this. I don't do this that often. Because I know it can appear manipulative or take you down roads you don't want to go. And I know you have to trust me at some point to say, these prayers are for my good. These statements are for my good. And again, if you see a statement and you can't agree with it, I give you the freedom to not say it. But at the same time, to in faith say that Christ has come to set me free. I don't want to walk in bondage. I want the darkness pierced in my life. Um, Jesus can make the darkness tremble. Jesus can overcome. Jesus can set me free, and I want to walk in freedom. Stand up with me. Lord, we thank you right now. And I pray that, Spirit of God, you'd move in this place in a mighty and powerful way because there are people here right now who desperately need to walk in freedom. Lord, their destiny in you will not be achieved unless they walk in freedom. And so, Lord, as we pray this together, Spirit of God, move among us. May the darkness be pierced. May all demonic influence be kept from this place. May our own self-deception be exposed. May things be overcome in order that we can walk in the freedom that you desire for us to walk in. Come, spirit of truth, spirit of power, spirit of might, and move in this place. Speak this confession with me if you feel God leading you into doing that. Dear Heavenly Father, open my eyes to see your truth. Give me ears to hear and a compelling desire to respond in faith to what the Lord Jesus Christ has already done for me. I confess Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and reigning as my one and only Lord and Savior. I confess that the Lord Jesus Christ rescued me from the dominion of darkness and transferred me into his kingdom of light. I renounce Satan and all his works and all his ways. I announce that Jesus Christ is my Lord, Savior, teacher, and friend. I give myself to obey everything that he commanded. I yield myself fully to Christ to do whatever he wants me to do, 
to be whatever he wants me to be, to give up whatever he wants me to give up, to give away whatever he wants me to give away, to become whatever he wants me to become. I confess, reject, renounce, and utterly disown every sin in which I have been involved. I announce that in Christ I have received redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I accept his reconciliation to the Heavenly Father, and I am thankful that I have peace with God. As an expression of my faith in Christ's forgiveness of me, I forgive every person who has ever hurt, abused, or taken advantage of me. I open all the doors of my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to take control of every part of my being. I gladly accept the filling and leading of the Holy Spirit in every part of my life. I surrender myself to live in union with the Lord Jesus Christ from this moment until I stand before the judgment seat of Christ and hear my name read from the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for uniting me with the Lord Jesus Christ and with all those who truly belong to you and live under your gracious reign in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Let's just celebrate our freedom in Him. Whether we're there exactly or not, we're on the path, let's just celebrate that He has brought light into the darkness and set us free. Let's worship together.